If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to another edition of First Strike, First Look right here on Visa. And I am your host, Dave Ross. You can follow me on Twitter at DRossSports. And what a pleasure it is to be joined by Reed Kuhn. Follow him at Fightnomics. And he's the author of the book of the same name, Fightnomics. Reed, always great to have you here on First Strike, First Look on a Tuesday as we look ahead to Saturday's card here. And again, we feel like we say this just about every week as we start to really uh, gear up for fight week that it's kind of a sneaky good card. Uh, that maybe some people are, are sleeping on a little bit. So we'll get into some of those plays that you like this week. But I do want to recap what you just saw at UFC London. And your models, read were on fire this weekend. Uh, tell the people how you did. <laughs> well, I, I won't say exactly how we did, but it was very, very good. <laughs> um, but when you talk about these sneaky cards, I mean, we saw that card coming. It was a very deep card in terms of having like nine or ten matchups that are viable to even run analysis on. And the same could be said for this weekend. Usually you don't see that unless it's a pay-per-view card. So when we talk about these sneaky cards, like the, the bigger the sample size, the better it is for someone taking a lot of angles and the safer the weekend is. Because if you only bet two or three bets, you pretty much have to sweep them to have a good day. And if you miss one, it's probably break even at best. Uh, and if you get one out of two, that's probably a bad night. But when you have 10 to choose from, it just gives you a lot more swings at things. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This has been a pretty big month just in terms of the cards and in terms of the bets and being able to get action down. Well, for those of you that might be new to First Strike and shame on you if you're not watching and listening every week, uh, Reed does an incredible job with his models and what he's getting at for the first time listeners here on First Strike, First Look 
is you need the volume. You, you kind of want those experienced fighters so that you can run your models with the data that is available over a, a big body of work. And when you get to the main event on Saturday with Chris Dawkins against Curtis Blades, I know uh, Curtis from our Chicago days very well. He's been uh, close, always kind of on the cusp of the next tier of uh, potentially being just on the outside looking in for a heavyweight title bout. So he's got a, a lot, uh, certainly I'm sure, that you can draw on. What do you make of this matchup against Dawkins and what are the models showing so far? Yeah, it's funny. You know, last week we had a heavyweight matchup with a very experienced guy versus a new up-and-comer who we didn't have a ton of sample size. And the same thing is true here with Dawkins. We have a little bit more data on him, uh, but we're also seeing some of the same things. Like he has spectacular metrics so far, but then at the same time, has he really gone deep with anybody in the division? He only has 17 minutes of cage time, even though he does have four fights. Meanwhile, Curtis Blades you know, 10 times as many minutes. And he's been in long grinders. He's, he's been around mm -hmm. a long time, much more of a known commodity. We know what we're getting. So when I see his numbers, I believe what I'm seeing. When I see the numbers of Dawkins, I, I can't put too much stock in it uh, because otherwise I would believe that, you know, between him and Aspinall last weekend, they're like the absolute best heavyweights to ever walk the earth. So I do, I do expect some regression to the mean here. Um, but this is it's, the dynamics of this matchup are definitely striker versus grappler. There's no question that Dawkins has the better striking and that Blades would be at risk if he spends a lot of time in open water. Whereas on the ground, Blades has been very good at taking dangerous strikers to the ground and just stifling them there. Sometimes he overcomes them with strikes, sometimes not. But he he has been in these long grinders before. And that's what I'm hoping for here. Because um, the lean is blades, and you know that I normally do like to lean towards the wrestler as the more mm -hmm. safe play. Um, but boy, like because these are heavyweights, every round is going to start, and you're going to be biting those nails because <laughs> Dawkins so far has looked so sharp with his hands. No question about it, Curtis Blades, almost a four-dollar betting favorite here uh, against the underdog and Chris Dawkins. And exactly right when you when you wager on those wrestlers. You're just looking for that takedown, hoping that the fight doesn't stay in the feet uh, for that one-punch knockout power. Not sure if Dawkins can do that to a guy like Blades, but we've seen Curtis succumb, obviously, with a guy like Derek Lewis. You can understand why. Uh, but he was dominating that fight until the one punch on the uppercut ended his night back then. The over-under in rounds, and your models have been doing a really good job, too, of trying to get predictive with uh, how long these fights might go. Right now, juice to the over, and again, five-round main event, potentially five rounds, but one and a half. And that is now at a, a minus $1.85 to hit the over. If you really think it's going to be a quick night, plus 150 on the under of a round and a half. Uh, what are the models showing uh, there, if anything at all yet, Reed? Uh, well, these guys are heavyweights. And so I have yet to really delve into trying to model the big guys. Um, but it is interesting. The fact that it's 1.5, it's used to the over. That's a reflection of Blades being the heavy favorite. Because if you do believe that he's going to win here, it's going to take some time. He's not... He's not a one-punch guy. That's not the way he fights. And he doesn't even, I don't think he even wants to play that game. So if you believe that he's going to win, he's probably going to take a few rounds if he does get a finish. He may not need it. Uh, you know, he might just grind five rounds on the ground. Uh, but that's, I think that's why we're seeing the odds the way they are, is that they're banking on Blades being the likely winner, and therefore he's going to take some time. Yeah, I totally understand uh, that sort of assessment for the way that this pathway could go for Curtis Blades. Look. I talked to Curtis years ago, asked him, is it more important to win or more important to be exciting? 
And he said winning. I mean, he's one of those guys kind of unapologetic about his wrestling. And if he wants to try to get back into the heavyweight title picture, I think you're right. You got to not, you can't throw caution to the wind. If you're Curtis blades, do what you do. That's gotten to this point. And what he does is wrestle. So you can understand why it's juiced right now to the over of a round and a half. Uh, let's go down this card just a little bit here, Reed. And and I'm very interested in what you think of Askar Askarov against Kaikara France. Now we saw Kaikara France with a great win over Cardi Garbrandt down here uh, in the lighter weight class. And now I look and I see he's almost a $3 underdog, plus 270. Uh, Ascroft right now, minus 350. What are the models showing here? It, it's strange. We just went from heavyweights and now we're going to the smallest division. And yet <laughs> the story is kind of the same here because you have Askarov, who has been a dominant wrestler. He's someone who... He goes early and often, you know, when someone is attempting more than one takedown for every minute they're on their feet, that tells you that they have a mission in mind and it's to get the fight down. And Cara France has not attempted very many takedowns. He has been relying on his hands, which has been getting it done. You know, the guy, he's, he's a flyweight, but he has six knockdowns. His mm -hmm. knockdown rate is above the UFC average, despite the fact that he's a 125er. So this guy can crack. Uh, I don't know if Askarov wants to stay there. His his defense is okay. His hands are good offensively, at least in terms of precision, not necessarily power. But this this also stacks up like a grappler versus striker. And once again, I'm leaning on the wrestler uh, to to grind this out. Now, three rounds is a little safer than five rounds. And being in the flyweight division is also a little bit safer for the wrestler. Uh, less likelihood that it's going to be one punch that ends up deciding the entire fight. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's Askarov in that wet blanket style of wrestling. That's what I'm hoping for here. And the numbers back it up. That's definitely the same dynamics that we're seeing in the heavyweight uh, main event. Yeah, no question about it. And again, you can understand why even in a three-round fight, it's juiced heavily to the over of two and a half because of what you just said. And again, when Kai Kara France looks so good against Cody Garbrandt, there's a guy where the style matched what Kai Kara France wants to do, which is stand and trade. Cody Garbrandt was a willing participant uh, to his demise. So you don't think Ascroft would do that. You would assume that this fight gets taken down to the mat if the big favorite at minus 350 uh, comes through in the clutch there. Let's get to the welterweights. We got some old guys on this card, Reed, that, of course, when you just see the names, you go, oh, my goodness, I can't wa wait to watch the immortal Matt Brown get back in there against Bi uh, Brian Bar Barbarana here, which should be a, a pretty intriguing matchup because it's almost even here, the betting odds, uh, minus 110 each side here. What do you make of, of two guys? Barbarino, a little bit newer to the party in the last five years. Matt Brown, the immortal. I think the nickname rings true. Yeah, I, this is um, interesting because, first of all, we have, I think, four different fighters on the card who are over the age of 40, Matt Brown being one of them, um, which is unusual. You don't, I mean, first of all, you don't hear me supporting guys who are that age very often. But in this case, I actually do like the potential for the upset. Or I think, you know, I don't know if Brown, I think he was at plus money at some point. You're right. I think it might be even now. We'll see where it closes because he does have the better established brand and name uh, recognition. He's been against elite guys. Um, but offensively, he's a fan favorite because he is just so nasty. He's just so dangerous. Whether he's using his hands, his elbows, his knees, uh, he has a finisher's instinct. And on the flip side, when you look at Barbarina, there is one glaring statistic on here, and it's his head strike defense. So when I'm looking across the card and I'm trying to identify a liability, uh, head strike defense is one of them. And there are mm. two guys that I'm going to be betting against this weekend who both have 
really bad head strike defense. And that's a dangerous thing to do when your opponent happens to be really good at knocking people down. Matt Brown has 10 career knockdowns, uh, a decent knockdown rate, but Barbarina with he's 57% head defense basically means you're turning all of your opponents into excellent strikers. When they throw, they're probably going to hit every other time. And that's a dangerous thing against Matt Brown. Um, Matt Brown also has decent wrestling. We've seen it before. You know, if you go way back in time, he beat Wonderboy Thompson just mm -hmm. by dragging him down and dropping elbows on him for three rounds. So Brown is a pretty versatile veteran, and I think he's got potential here. I would have loved to have gotten plus money on that, but even at even money, I think it's worth a small play. Yeah, it, it's hard to go against Matt Brown. If you're going to be in a striking matchup with Matt Brown, probably not uh, the way you want to go. So I, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, when you see, uh, you mentioned old guys and Alexi Olenek uh, back in this fight game uh, against Latifi here. And uh, th the interesting thing here is, is right now, uh, Ilya Latifi is a minus 190 uh, Alex, uh, to get Alexi uh, Olenek here. That's plus money, plus 160. You know what Olenek wants to do. He wants to get you in one of those mo more bizarre Ezekiel chokes and finish this on the mat. And Latifi, you would think, wants to keep this standing. I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, data based on both of these fighters. What are the models showing you? Yeah, th this is the other fighter that I was talking about when I was looking at uh, bad head strike defense. That's a liability, and it's certainly a liability for a guy who's pushing 45 years old. I, I don't know if he's officially the oldest guy in the UFC, but he might be. Um, so yeah, Ilir Latifi actually does come from a wrestling base in this matchup. I don't think that's what he wants to do. You do not want to roll around in a guy, roll around mm -hmm. on the ground with a guy who's nicknamed the boa constrictor. Um, <laughs> I think he has 46 career submissions in MMA. It's absurd. Now this guy <laughs> is probably on the verge of retirement. Um, and he, he, his chin is a liability at this point. He's been dropped now five times. Um, so he has been knocked out, and it might not take a lot. But Latifi's normal game plan of potentially wrestling, I think that goes out the window. I think you know he is normally an underranged guy. He is going to be underranged in this fight against Alenik. Um, But I, I think he has the luxury of getting to wait. He knows Alenik wants to get it to the ground. He can counter him, and he has good takedown defense. He's, Alir Latifi has actually not been taken down in the UFC. He actually is perfect seven for seven because most people don't try because he has right. the wrestling base. So I'm I'm just thinking this is going to be a staring match for a while, maybe a few unsuccessful shots, and then hopefully Latifi catches him with something at some point. Uh, but I'm backing Latifi here. Um, also, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, this is purely subjective, but the guy doesn't have a neck. You know, how do you choke some <laughs> guy doesn't. whose traps are so big he has no neck to choke? Um, so it's, I mean, that's, I'll throw that out the window, but just based on takedown defense alone, if he's smart, he, he takes a measured pace and just looks for one big shot to put a lean out. Yeah, I think that's exactly the way to go. And you're right about the neck on Latifi. He is a no neck guy. So if you're trying to get that Ezekiel choke, good luck, but you're right. Do not roll in the round around on the ground with the bow constrictor. Cause that's the way that, uh, Alexi wants to try to get it done. I want to get one more before we let you go here, Reed. And that's in the prelims, uh, Neil Magny. Back in the prelims against Max Griffin, this should be a very intriguing matchup here. And Magny over a $2 favorite here, which surprises me a little bit uh, with Max Griffin on the other side. What are the models showing you here? Uh, yeah, Magny is one of those veterans. He was uh, really undervalued. There was, there was a point in time a couple of years ago, I think I ran analysis on if you bet on every fighter as if they were a stock, who would have returned the most amount of money? And Magny was one of those people who was always an underdog, but he was always grinding out a decision, 
pulling off mm-hmm. the upset. Um, he's good at that, and he's also one of the rangiest people at welterweight. And this is not a situation where he's facing like an up and coming stud. He's Neil Magny is actually the younger of the two fighters in this matchup, what I, which I would not have expected. Um, just knowing the name Max Griffin, he doesn't have he hasn't been around as long, at least not in my mind anyway. Um, so this is an interesting matchup. I I think Magny is at even at minus one ninety, minus two hundred. I actually like Magny as a play here. Um, maybe not as big as some of the other bets, but he is a game veteran. Uh, if he chooses to clinch up and wrestle, he can stifle what Max Griffin has to offer. Max Griffin does have more career knockdowns and he does have sharper hands, but I don't know if he has the takedown defense to to keep Magny off of him for three rounds. So I think Magny can stay out of danger. He's going to have the reach advantage, eventually get this up against the cage and then put it to the ground. It's it's a measured approach, but that is what Magny specializes in. And if you have a measured approach for Neil Magny's pathway to victory, the over right now, two and a half rounds, juiced heavily at minus 235. But I think kind of the fight script you just laid out there, Reed, would make sense if you think Magny's going to get it done. Could be Magny by decision, get some even better numbers that way. Uh, Reed, always appreciate having you on both First Strike and certainly this week on on First Look uh, for First Strike coming up this week. Enjoy your time away, and we'll catch up with you next week. But uh, read again for people to follow you. They can follow you at Fightnomics. And again, a book by the same name. Uh, it's still available out there, correct? Yes, still on okay. eBay and on Amazon. All right, well, I would highly urge people to check it out. Uh, always great information, as always. Read, appreciate the time. And again, everybody, again, check it out. This Saturday night should be a pretty good fight card. Cast those tickets. We'll see you on Friday for First Strike right here on Beeson, the Sports Betting Network. 